Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. So this one's fun. I got to talk to Allison Komiyama from Acknowledge Regulatory Strategies. Many of you may have heard Allison as a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast before. She knows her stuff, folks. She's ex-FDA. She's a biocompatibility expert. Today on on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, Allison shares a few uh, fun facts, random facts, interesting tidbits, whatever you want to call it about some programs, some details, some things that you may not have known about working with the FDA, including uh, creating product codes and you know help with predicates from FDA. So you're going to want to listen to this one. It's pretty exciting. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Excited about this one because I get to talk to Allison Komiyama. Allison is the owner and principal consultant at Acknowledge Regulatory Strategies. And, and I'm excited because Allison always shares some things about FDA that I just didn't know. So Allison, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you, John. It's always lovely to talk with you. I think that you have some maybe a little known facts or random facts or or some exciting news about things that might be happening at FDA and, and CDRH that that our listeners may not know about. So is that true? Yeah, I mean, I think there's stuff changing constantly at FDA, which is, you know, sometimes very challenging to navigate. I would suppose if you're if you're entering, you know, this field or have a medical device manufacturer. But at the same time, I see FDA sort of moving towards, you know, being very open to collaborate with industry and also coming up with new programs that are really beneficial to help technologies get to market. So it's it's a pretty exciting time, I would say, right now. Okay, I agree. I mean, I it seems like, although this week seems like it's been a little bit quiet, but uh, it seems like you know in the past several months, you know, there have been announcements or press releases or you know something that's important and meaningful to med device. So I usually try to keep my finger on the pulse, but sometimes it's hard to keep up. And I know you're you're kind of in the trenches, so to speak, and deal a lot with regulatory and submissions and all that sort of thing. So what is the first random fact or fun fact that you'd like to share? Sure. And I guess uh, and what made me think about this topic in general was uh, we actually did a an FDA Friday interview. It's one of the, the blogs that we run with my company. And uh, last week we had, uh, or actually a couple weeks ago now, uh, we had someone from Micra. It's a consulting company. His name is Rob Allen. He's a uh, uh, or Dr. Allen, he's at Micra um, now, but was at FDA recently. And he left FDA and said this quote, and I, I loved it because he said, you know, oftentimes there's something along the lines of like FDA employees and, and people think that they're just all about rules and red tape. However, the people at FDA are often very creative in getting things done that is within the framework of the regulations or the, the, yeah, the rules and regulations. And I, I loved that because I thought... I've been finding that so true with a lot of the reviewers that we've been working with. A lot of the branch chiefs, which are now um, called associate directors, I believe, after this big reorganization that just happened at the agency. Uh, but, you know, they have been very helpful. I would say even in pre-submission meetings, you know, just 
calling them up on the phone if they if they offer it, you know, hey, could you do you want to you know set up a ten minute call? We just want to get some things, uh, you know, discussed with with you and your clients. And I would say one of the things that's been common is we're not sure that this you know that you've either picked the right predicates or you know you, these are decent predicates, but can we help you? find a predicate. And so there have been a handful of cases recently where they'll say, here's one that actually might be more applicable. Really? Which is very helpful. I mean, I think when you when you think about the uh, recent commentary, and I think Drew's actually did one of the podcasts about it, about the changes to the 510k program and how they said, yeah. you know, we're getting rid of things that are, you know, you shouldn't have predicates that are older than 10 years and all this stuff. You know, I think FDA has said, uh, or hopefully internally has said, well, there's got to be a way then to still help companies find the right predicates. So there have been a handful of cases where, um, you know, they might not just hand us the the K number, but they'll say, look into this regulation or, you know, have yeah. you thought about this other pathway? So that's been sort of just a, a nice, uh, you know, interaction that we've had with FDA on a, on a few cases. I would say the other thing that a lot of folks don't know about is um, that FDA is the they are the holders, the keepers of the product codes, right? So the Code of Federal Regulations, it's usually a seven-digit code. Um, one, let's, actually, I'll give you an example. Uh, 21 CFR 870.2700. And so this is a, a, something from the Code of Federal Regulations. And this in particular is for cardiovascular monitoring devices for oximeters, right? So everyone is fairly familiar with oximeters. And... FDA uh, says, okay, here's the code of, what the Code of Federal Regulation says and how it defines this um, product type or this device. However, FDA is the owner of all the product codes. So they essentially, under this specific uh, regulation, there's you know, something like five or six different product codes. And so FDA decides they can make and uh, essentially dissolve any of those product codes. So we've been noticing uh, FDA generate new product codes. So if it's not, if, if you're essentially your device doesn't quite fit perfectly within that product code or any of the product codes within that regulation, what FDA can do is generate a new product code for you. I mean, they're not going to just like say, oh, hey, you know, we're just going to make this for you. It is usually a conversation with the company, with industry. Um, yeah. I've seen this with, a, there was another company that made surgical apparel. They made essentially scrubs and they had a device that they said was able to, um, I think the indications were that they were able to uh, reduce the retention of MRSA on the surface of the, the scrubs. And so FDA said, well, you don't quite fit under the normal regulations, the normal product code that we have for surgical scrubs. So they generated a new product code for them which was really interesting. You know, they said, here's a new product code. It's great. And you can look it up. It's product code QBW and said, here's this new product code. Uh, you're fine to sell. And I think what a lot of companies will think, you know, if they said, well, listen, we have this new technology. If you go on the flow chart, it falls outside, you know, the, the substantial equivalence flow chart. Clearly we're going to be a de novo. And I think a lot of companies are getting sort of, you know, sent down the de novo pathway when there actually might be a, another pathway that they haven't thought of and that is approach FDA and see if they'll generate a new product code for you. So let me kind of, uh, I guess, summarize that a bit. So and kind of compare and contrast uh, this with like the de novo. So like in a de novo situation, there theoretically there is no 
regulation tied to the thing that I'm doing. So there is no uh, seven-digit number even, right? Or I guess it's more than seven digits. I can't even count. No, seven digits. Um, sorry, it's been a long day. Uh, but but in, in a de novo situation, I'm like, I've looked through the the hundreds of, of seven-digit codes and I don't find anything. So I'm like, uh, that I'm, I'm clearly a de novo. But in this scenario, what you're describing is if seems like I would fit under this seven-digit code. In your example, 870.2700, it feels like it's an, an oximeter. I read the what an oximeter is and the CFR. You know, I'm trying to find a product code. I pick the one that's the best, but, but uh, in that process, there might be a new code that's created because the thing that I'm doing might not exactly fit the, the code that or the codes that exist. Am I understanding this correctly? Exactly. So yeah, and let's just look at that oximeter. I'm pulling it up, sorry, my screen. But yeah, there's actually seven different, pro- or there were six product codes. Yeah. And essentially that company went through and said, we have a, an oximeter, but it's a cerebral oximeter. This is, you know, different technology. It might, you know, it seems like it might, um, you know, it, it doesn't really fall within any of these product codes. Now, one of the things you point out, which is very true, is that there is a regulation that already exists. So an oximeter uh, this is clearly the cerebral oximeter is an oximeter, right? So uh, the regulation is there for it. They just said, listen, none of the product codes really fit our device. And that's where FDA um, generated the new product code for that. I see. So, yeah, you're right. For de novo, it's very clear. If you don't actually have any um, regulation that you fall under, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of the PMA process. The same, you're, they're essentially generating a new regulation as well as a new product code for you. But this is kind of interesting because I think if I heard you correctly, you said that in the did the company that you're aware of did they already submit a 510k and in the process of the 510k kind of back and forth, FDA came back and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to create a new code." Or was this part of a pre-submission? Can you maybe elaborate on That's that a little a bit? Great question. And actually, these are not my clients. I try not to any of my clients. I won't talk about. But the ones, the two examples that I've given today, I'm not quite sure how they did it. You know, it's either that they went through with a pre-submission and said, you know. Here's what we're looking at, and FDA suggested it. Uh, another option is uh, they submitted the 510k straight straight out and said, you know, um, let's see if we can kind of shotgun this 510k, and if it sticks at FDA, or you know, it's possible if they kick us out, they might say, no, you're NSE because you don't have a great predicate, right? There are no other cerebral oximeters that we can find, therefore you might be looking at a, uh, at a de novo. But hmm. instead, let's say they submitted the 510k, FDA said. Uh, it's close enough. You know, we're we're happy with the regulation that this would fall under. Therefore, by the way, we're also giving you a, a new product code. So you can see for the the cerebral oximeter, I think if you open the summary for that, they still have the primary product code is MUD, which is for the oximeters, and the secondary product code is QEM. Well, that's kind of intriguing, and, and and so theoretically, if I'm a med device company and I'm like, yeah, clearly this this regulation that seven digit number. Mm-hmm. My device is clearly an oximeter. This definition, it broadly, my device would fit under. I'm going to do my best to communicate what, what product codes, and you know, if I think I'm on a 510k path, identify you know those predicates. But theoretically, in the course of of a pre-submission, this would be a good question I could ask. You know, hey, we've looked at all these codes, these product codes for the oximeter regulation, and you know, we're kind of like this one, but not really. And we're kind of like this one, but not really. And of course, folks don't use my words, be a little bit more matter of fact about it. But, <laughs> but, 
but uh, hopefully you get the point. But but you can almost ask the question. FDA says, "Hey, would it be possible to to uh, create a new secondary product code for this?" sort of oximeter i mean theoretically right yes yes and i so we have asked questions like that in the pre-submission meeting and of course they're not supposed to give regulatory feedback within the pre-submission process uh but they have you know if you read between the lines of their responses it often makes sense that yeah but it it looks like they would consider that if and when we decide to submit our our pre-market submission I mean that's fascinating. And then the other thing that you mentioned a moment ago about about going through the this process, whether it be pre-submission or even at the point of a five ten k, and and uh, FDA collaborating with you and helping you identify uh, possible better predicates. I mean that's this is um, this is not the way it used to be. So what's going on? Yeah, no, great question. I think uh, you know, kind of going back to to Dr. Allen's quote. You know, I, I do think that there there are creative ways of looking at the at the regulations and trying to help industry. I feel like that's, of course, one of always my big goals of the company that we yeah. you know that uh, my company is that, you know, how do we actually work with FDA? How, how can we make it seem that, you know, everyone, we're on the same page. We all, at the end of the day, want to help patients. We all want to get the best device on the market. Like no one puts a medical device on the market that says, ah, I hope it kills people, right? Like that's, it's well, no one's goal. Yeah, right. it's true. That's true. You've got some sociopaths on your team. You just walk away from that company. But I, uh, I, I, I firmly believe that if you can get FDA to, to understand your device, see the benefit of your device, and then help you think creatively about the re- regulatory strategy, then you all win, right? And at the end of the yeah. day, you win too, hopefully. So, um, yeah, that's. I think it's an exciting time for. Uh, I don't know for for people to be in this field and be in medical devices. Totally so. agree. And I mean, and the, those two words that you paired together, creative regulatory, uh, there's a time in my career that where that would have been, that would have been interpreted as blasphemous and just ludicrous. And it's encouraging, frankly, that, that we are in an environment, certainly here in the FDA, and we're, we're not talking outside U.S., so much today that it might be a different scenario, but um, but it is encouraging to hear that there's a much more collaborative environment between industry and and FDA. I mean, there's been countless cases that we've been exposed to, uh, to and, and a part of, and I know you have as well. That, that this is, I, I agree with you. This is a great time to be a med device company, you know, to try to to help people and and to improve that quality of life. All right, so uh, any other random facts or interesting tidbits or, or exciting programs from the FDA that that um, you want to share? Uh, I guess, you know, I've had a lot of interest in companies coming to me saying, can you tell us more about the breakthrough designation program, you know, for breakthrough devices? And I think that's where we've seen a lot of really cool uh, medical technology get FDA's support, you know, and it, for lack of a better word, I mean, essentially getting this breakthrough designation uh, has been very valuable for a lot of the small startups, especially that we work with. I think it provides some uh, insight to investors, especially that, hey, FDA is, or, you know, agree that you are breakthrough. There's nothing really else like you. Uh, or, you know, if there is, uh, yours is going to be potentially better than what's currently on the market. Uh, and I think that's been I don't know. It's just been really fun to see that the clients that have gotten that breakthrough designation. Uh, and I think it's improved over the last year even. I mean, they came out with the guidance document not too long ago about the pathway. 
you know, and I think historically it used to be called the expedited access pathway. And right. a lot of people joked at that title, especially in industry, because it was like, oh, there's nothing expedited about it. Essentially, you're going to get 20 people's hands on it at FDA and it's going to slow things down. Uh, and I think what they've tried to do with the guidance documents and what they've tried to do uh, with the program in general is really to uh, give, you know, clean and, and concise feedback about what you can expect with the program. Uh, you know, here's, here's, you know, the, the interactions you're able to get uh, from FDA. And I've seen uh, with most of my clients that, uh, again, that collaborative effort of pick up the phone, call us, you know, if you have breakthrough designation, uh, we are interested in helping you uh, sort of speed up that process. So that's, it, it's really fun. It's really fun to be in right. companies. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to come back to and, and dive a little bit deeper into the breakthrough uh, designation uh, here in a moment and, and make sure everyone understands that. But before I do, I want to just take a few moments. Folks, did you know that the Global Medical Device Podcast, we've had over 100 episodes. It's, it's, it's some of the most fun that personally I get to have uh, as, as a human in the medical device, working in the medical device industry, I get to talk to people uh, like Allison Komiyama and we just get to, to share, uh, you know, sometimes stories from the trenches, sometimes good stories, sometimes we lament with one another, but, but um, it, it's a lot of fun. So please uh, share this with your friends and colleagues and, and your coworkers. But I also want you to, to check out this brand new podcast that we recently launched at Greenlight Guru. Yes, the Global Medical Device Podcast, it's continuing. But we also have a brand new one. It's called MedTech True Quality Stories. And, and that one's fun for me as well. I get to talk to uh, startup executives, you know, leaders within medical device companies, you know, people who are in the, in the midst of, of doing things, bringing new products to market, you know, trying to, to change the world and, and within these medical device companies. And they're sharing with me some of their true quality stories, some of the obstacles and barriers that they have to overcome. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, you'll also be able to find MedTech True Quality Stories. But be sure to go check that out. Give it a listen. Give us, you know, two thumbs up or five stars or, you know, comments or whatever the case may be, but, but appreciate you sharing that. The other thing, while I'm taking a, a brief break here, did you know that Allison Komiyama and Acknowledge Regulatory Strategies has an exciting event coming up? Allison, can you maybe tell us a little bit about this event? Absolutely. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, I am uh, with a team of former FDA reviewers are putting together a conference in August. So it's August 19, 19 through 21st of this year. It's here in San Diego, which I will see you. I've heard I'm also going to see you in November and here in San Diego. That's right. We'll talk about that as well a little bit. Uh, but we are essentially talking about some of the stuff that I've even brought up today. So a lot of uh, information about pre-market submissions. We're going to be talking about 510Ks, de novos, IDEs, HDEs, PMAs, all the acronyms you can think of. Uh, and we're also going to have some hot topic sections. Um, so those aren't on the website yet, but we're going to have, bring those up as well. But essentially talking about um, how to use real-world evidence in your submissions, how to uh, you know, use uh, the six-year rule, section 216 in your PMA. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about digital health, cybersecurity, software as a medical device. There's going to be uh, sort of everything going on at FDA and, and then some from all former 
FDAers. So, you know, folks that have just actually left in the past few months, uh, a few of them have left a few years ago, uh, but they will have stories from both sides of the table. So we have a few that are consulting. Dr. Rim uh, is a consultant with NSF. Uh, we have uh, Alison Kumar, who's been a good friend of mine. She's up in the Bay Area. She's with Arena Consulting. And then we have uh, Sarah Leismer, who works for Medtronic, uh, Jemin Dadania, he's at uh, Stryker. So we just have all these very interesting perspectives, and it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so if we're yeah. keeping it uh, small for a good reason, we wanted it to be networking, but also have it be more personal, that you can interact with all the speakers and uh, meet other conference goers. And then, uh, yeah, just learn a heck of a lot about FDA. Yeah, and folks, I'll share a link to the Regulatory Alliance Forum event that's happening in August. I'll share a link to that with the text that accompanies uh, this podcast. In the event that you're not at a point where you can check that out, go to acknowledge-rs.com. Uh, you'll be able to see, I think, on the their main navigation, it says conference. You can click on it. You can register. But certainly check that out. It, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. And I know some people may think, how much fun can regulatory people have? Well, <laughs> yeah, if you've ever listened to, to a podcast episode that Allison and I have, uh, clearly we're having a good time. So, you know, definitely check that out. And I, I'm glad you mentioned November. Uh, reminds me that, um, you know, Greenlight Guru, folks, we're doing a, a true quality roadshow. Uh, so far, we've been at, uh, we did one in Indianapolis. We did one in Atlanta. We've done one in Boston. By the time this airs, the I would expect that it'll be right before or right after the Minneapolis event in June, uh, on June 13th. But future stops include San Francisco in July, Houston in August, Orange County in October, San Diego in November. Uh, just type in Greenlight Guru True Quality Roadshow and you know, you'll know you be able to see when and where we're going to be. Sign up. It's free. It's a good time. We've had a lot of great conversations at that, but, but definitely go check that out. All right. So I want to get back into this breakthrough device designation. I mean, you, you talked about you know sort of, sort of the excitement behind it and and the some of the potential benefits of it, but uh, I don't want to assume that everybody has heard of it. I don't want to assume everybody knows even what that means. So maybe... Could you take a minute to, to elaborate and describe and define what this program is all about and who it's structured towards and if there's certain device types? Can you maybe just give a little bit more details about uh, this program to, so people can determine whether or not this is even an option? No, that's a great point. Yeah, it's good to uh, explain what it actually is. So it is, uh, it's something that was established under the 21st Century Cures Act. So it was in 2016. So it, the Breakthrough Device uh, Program, it's for devices that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read a little line here that I have up on my screen, that either offer solutions for diseases for which no approved or cleared treatment exists, or it provides significant advantage over treatments that are already pre-existing. So there's actually two criteria that you need to meet. And so FDA has the guidance document that's out, and they actually had a really great webinar, I think a month or two back, uh, that sort of walked through what they're looking for with those specific criteria. So the first, you have to meet the first criterion, and that one says that you should provide a more effective treatment or diagnosis for a life-threatening or irreversibly debilitating human disease or condition. And then there are four other criteria and you need to meet at least one of the following four. And it's either that it's a breakthrough technology and they define what they mean by that in the guidance. Uh, there should be no approved or cleared alternative. Uh, it should offer advantages over existing devices. And for the availability of your device um, would be in the best interest of the patients. So again, you don't have to meet all four of those 
four that I just stated, you have to meet one of those four. So it's pretty great. I mean, it's a fairly straightforward pathway. It looks very much like a pre-submission. It's sort of within that pre-submission program. And so they've said, make sure you designated that this is an actual uh, breakthrough designation request in that pre-submission. Uh, and they're, they usually will get back to you uh, within 30 days if they have any other questions or if they have, you know, if they might have some uh, feedback uh, that would help them, uh, you know, or questions that might help them understand your device a little better. And at that point, they essentially issue you a letter that says, congratulations, you know, you have been designated a breakthrough device. So there are some, as I said, there are specific things that you get out of this. You know, there are ways that you can have sprint discussions with FDA, um, any future pre-submissions, you are allowed to submit uh, new data while they're actually reviewing the pre-submission. Uh, I, I would say use that, you know, within reason. You don't want to just be dumping a bunch of things on your reviewer and giving them more and more work to do uh, while they're reviewing your file. But, you know, having that interaction, having that, um, you know, that, that communication, that open line of communication is really valuable. I think one of the biggest things it gives for small startups especially is... Uh, showing investors, right, that you have, that essentially FDA has said you're a breakthrough device. Uh, the other thing, and actually I just fielded a call the other day about this, is that a reimbursement can be easier if you have that breakthrough or if you had breakthrough designation. Let's say you had breakthrough designation, you got your de novo granted, and then uh, you're going for reimbursement or trying to figure out your reimbursement strategy. Having that previous uh, breakthrough designation can actually improve your, uh, your reimbursement reimbursement, reimbursability. Is that a word? Um, it, sh- it is today. Yeah. <laughs> it is today. I may have just made it up. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's very exciting. I think the FDA has been showing a lot of, I don't know, you know, they, they actually can't publish which ones they've given breakthrough status to, but they definitely, as soon as they grant a de novo or um, approve a PMA and it had breakthrough designation, they absolutely <laughs> will include that yeah. because I think it's good PR for FDA as well. For sure. Right? Hey, we, we were interacting and, you know, and, and really we're backing this device trying to help, um, you know, not make it, not make it easier for them, but just to make it, um, I don't know, more, more expedited, you know, having, having yeah. that, communication so that a company doesn't have to wait the full 90 days for a pre-submission, let's say. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, and folks, I've got the link uh, pulled up on my screen now. I'll be sure to share that as well. But, you know, I just typed in breakthrough device designation and you'll get the, probably the first result in any search engine will be the program, but I'll, I'll give you a link to that so you can read more about it. Talks about that criteria that Allison just mentioned, and you know, there's links to the guidance document and all that sort of thing. But would you say that there's any particular? I, I know that there was some focus. Uh, I think about uh, maybe six months or so ago on like uh, devices to address the opioid crisis, for example. Uh, are there other uh, product categories or, or uh, product spaces where you, you you see that there's more activity? Sure. So definitely, the opioid epidemic is you know. Um, it really triggered a lot of interest in getting medical devices and just treatments that how can we how can we help that crisis going on in the U.S. I think the other one there's been a lot of interest with pediatric devices. I think uh, FDA has known for a long time that companies don't want to you know touch the patient population for pediatrics with a ten foot pole because hey if you hurt a kid yeah. with your device I know you know that's 
really bad for your company for so many reasons. So, you know, FDA sees that as an issue because, hey, kids need treatments too. So we need to start researching this and understanding how can we get these devices smaller or in, you know, smaller or, you know, smaller doses, I guess, if you will, uh, for those pediatric populations. So I have seen, I've actually done quite a few pre-sub meetings where there'll be a medical officer that says, have you thought about this device for pediatric indication? Uh, I'd be willing to help you design that clinical arm of your study. And so, you know, I've had reviewers in the room say, we'd like to engage with you to help you with that piece. So that's, uh, cool. again, another another area that I think FDA is trying to expand into. Yeah, that's terrific. So uh, kind of as we wrap up our conversation today, are there any facts, tidbits, exciting developments, you know, super secret initiatives from an FDA perspective that, that you think are worth mentioning? Or did we cover sort of the, the, the big ones? Uh, I think we covered the ones I, I you know, I'd hope to talk about, but definitely uh, there will be more in the next few months. And we do hope to cover those as well at, at the Regulatory Alliance Forum Conference in August. So another plug for that. I'd love for people to come and, and uh, see what all of them have to say. All right. Well, Allison, I, I, we're going to do this on a more regular basis. So we, we've I agree. I, I love talking with you, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. This, this is the, this is the most fun I get to have. And, you know, as I'm recording this, it's the end of a Friday afternoon. So, so yeah, this is a great way to end the week for me as well. But folks, check out Acknowledge Regulatory Strategies, acknowledge-rs.com. Allison Kobayama, uh, there's no one better when it comes to, to regulatory, you know, we didn't even cover that she used to work at FDA as a reviewer. She's a biocompatibility nerd. So uh, certainly if, if your products deal with anything on biocompatibility, absolutely. Allison is, is a key person, but you know, she knows a lot more than biocompatibility. I'm not trying to sell her short, but definitely check out what they're doing. Uh, a great partner of ours here at Greenlight Guru. And, um, you know, of course, uh, go check out the regulatory uh, conference that she's having in August. We'll send you those links. We'll check out or send you links on the breakthrough, but check that out as well. And uh, as always, appreciate you listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.